Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to Camo X. Hey, Brad Young in with you this evening. I haven't been in with you since, gosh, it's been two weeks now because last week uh, there was a Billikens game. Last night there was a Billikens game. Uh, so it's been a while. How are you doing? Uh, thanks for staying up tonight with us here on Camo X. Uh, we're going to be going till 10 o'clock. We've got lots of interviews. Uh, but before I, I get into anything about the show, I got to tell you, if you were paying attention just uh, a mere four minutes ago on the CBS News, they were the reporter was talking about arresting a guy in a Walmart who had no clothing on and was acting in an erratic manner. And it just occurred to me. Doesn't that describe about 30% of the people you encounter at Walmart? I mean, seriously. First of all, I, I have seen naked people in Walmart before. And secondly, those that I did see that were practically naked, I wish that they were wearing clothing. It wasn't like their nakedness was attractive. It was There should have been like a warning sign. You know, if, if there's a if, if there's a substance on the floor, if there's a defect or a hazard in a store, they put out those yellow or orange cones. Well, the half-naked people I've seen at Walmart need to have those cones because visually it's a hazard to your consciousness. Uh, so I didn't really understand why arresting someone with no clothing on and acting in an erratic manner in a Walmart was all that different from any other day. I mean, that's what's called Tuesday, I think, at Walmart. So, uh, in any event, uh, again, Brad Young with you. You know, we call this show At Your Service. And tonight, we're going to have some interviews. Uh, we're going to have, hopefully, some of your phone calls. Because that's, to me, what At Your Service means. I mean, you can listen to a podcast. You can listen to Joe Rogan. But you can't talk to Joe Rogan. You can't interact with him. You can't interact with a podcast. But you can interact with us here live on At Your Service. So either by phone or by text, the same number, 314-436-7900. And again, we've got an interview coming up after the break. And so uh, when we're not having an interview, though, I've got a question of the evening. And uh, after our first interview is over, I'm going to 
ask uh, board operator extraordinaire Matt Pajeski about his take on this. But there's a poll that came out that lists the best TV shows of all time. The best TV shows of all time. And I'm going to want to hear your feedback, your answers to that question. What is the best TV show of all time? So just think about that. And again, we're going to have a go to a break here in a moment. If you want to text in, of course, that would be great. I'll, in anything that doesn't violate FCC rules and regulations, I'll be happy to read it on the air. 314-436-7900. Uh, two quick uh, snow-related stories. Uh, first of all, my my law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher & Young, our, our law firm has been pretty much closed. Okay, except for me at the office, it was closed yesterday and today. I was the only one in the office. And I, I showed up at work, and I'm wearing, you know, winter boots, right? And there's nobody else here. It's just me. In fact, in our entire building, nobody was there. I was the only car in the parking lot for the last two days. And so I took off my boots when I went into the office. So I'm walking around my law firm with in my in my socks, okay? And it can I just tell you it felt really weird to to be walking cuz you know you're at home, you wear your socks in the house, so what? It's your house, right? But I've never really walked around in my socks at the office because if anybody's there, that would look weird. So I kind of felt a little bit like Tom Cruise in Risky Business. You remember? If you, I mean, listen, uh, I don't look a thing like Tom Cruise, all right? But you remember that classic scene in Risky Business, and I think that was the first big movie that Tom Cruise made, where the parents are gone, he throws a big party, and he comes sliding through the hall singing a, a Bob Seger song, and he's wearing nothing but a, but a shirt, and he's in his underpants and socks, well, listen, I was wearing pants. Unlike folks at Walmart, I was wearing pants at my office because that would be weird if I wasn't wearing pants in my office. But it was weird walking around in socks at the office. So that was something, never done that before, and uh, I thought that was rather odd. The other thing is, this is going to take me just a moment to tell you, but when I was in high school, this would have been in uh, the 1980s. I was working in high school. I was working at the town radio station. I've told this story before, but it's been a long time. And uh, I was like 16, working at the radio station. And in those days before the Internet, the only way you knew that the uh, there was no school the next day, the only way you knew for that hometown, my hometown, was by listening to the radio. That was the only way. No Internet, no television. That was before Al Gore invented the Internet. So, okay, I'm being facetious there in case you didn't catch it. So I go on and I realize that everyone in town is listening to me while I'm on the radio because it was snowing and everyone was listening to see if there was school tomorrow. And that, my friends, is when temptation came over me. And it occurred to me that, you know, even though the superintendent of schools didn't call me, and that was the protocol, you're supposed to call the radio station, announce that there's no school tomorrow. Uh, and by the way, hi, Mary Lynn. She just texted in. Hey, thanks for texting. So it occurred to me that if I went on the 8 radio and announced there's no school tomorrow, there would truly be no school tomorrow. That I had the power in my voice to cancel school and I thought, you know, if I did that, I would be the hero of West Frankfurt Community High School. I would be the hero that I single-handedly canceled school 
because I announced it on the radio. And as I was overcome with power and drunk with, 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 uh, with the, the idea that I could cancel school, I realized, number one, I would be lying. But number two, I'd get fired. <laughs> I'm just 16, right? So I, I did not succumb to temptation. I did not announce that school's over. But let me tell you, for like five minutes, I thought I had the power of Thanos, that I could just snap my fingers and boom, there would be no school tomorrow. It was quite exhilarating. Uh, but uh, no, I did not succumb to the temptation. Hey, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Cornell University Law School professor William Jacobson. And he blogs every day at daily at the uh, legalinsurrection.com. But the question is going to be this. If there's a 50-50 tie voting for, for uh, President Biden's pick to the Supreme Court, can Vice President Kamala Harris vote to break the tie? Hmm. No one's talking about this, but we are on At Your Service, KMOX. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You know, now that uh, President Biden has his chance to nominate someone to the Supreme Court, we hear the media saying that, you know, if there's a 50-50 tie in the Senate, then Vice President Kamala Harris could vote to break that tie. But can she, is the question. Joining us to break this down is Cornell University Law School professor William Jacobson. You've heard him here before on X. He also runs a website, LegalInsurrection.com. I read that website every single day. You should, too. It's fantastic. And uh, Professor Jacobson, welcome back to X. Thank you for having me back. Well, you know, we understand that under the Constitution that the vice president votes to break a tie in the Senate. But what is the issue, though, if we're talking about votes for a Supreme Court nominee? Well, the issue is whether um, the ability of the vice president to cast a tie-breaking vote applies to the advice and consent required from the Senate uh, for a nomination to the Supreme Court, uh, as opposed to legislation, which is purely a matter of Senate rules, really. Um, so uh, a lot of scholars, Lawrence Tribe, the very well-known Harvard Law School liberal professor, um, uh, very anti-Trump, uh, mm-hmm. when in Coney Barrett was coming up and they thought there might be a split in the Senate, 
he argued that Mike Pence could not cast a tiebreaker. And he went into a very elaborate uh, historical reasons why that is not the advice and consent did not consider that the vice president could cast a tie-breaking vote uh, based on his historical readings and his readings of what the framers of the Constitution said at the time. And he argued that that can't be done. And Alan Dershowitz um, came to the same conclusion. And they both published things that the vice president does not have the ability to cast a tiebreaker on a Supreme Court nomination. Well, now, yeah. we are in a situation where it, it is a 50-50 Senate. It was not 50-50 <laughs> back then, okay? And uh, it's a very real possibility. Now, depending who the nominee is, I'm not sure it's a likely possibility because I think there's a strong likelihood, unless you have somebody who has a scandalous history, um, you know, in all likelihood, one or two or three, maybe more, Republicans are going to peel away. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be 50-50, but it could be a very interesting situation if it is. Well, and, and what I like about this, Professor Jacobson, is that everyone just assumes, well, the, of course the vice president can vote to break a tie, but, the, but in the Constitution, the power to break a tie on legislation is found in Article 1, I believe, and the advice and consent clause in the Constitution is under Article 2. So there really is this question about whether the vice president can vote. But until recently, this really wasn't an issue, was it? Because up until just a few years ago, it took 60 votes to uh, to uh, pass someone on from a nomination to become a Supreme Court nominee or a Supreme Court justice. Right. What happened was that there, you, the filibuster used to apply to all federal judicial nominations. And then it was, I think, December of 2013, Harry Reid uh, said he's going to do away with the filibuster for judges below the Supreme Court level. And there was never any real dis- reason for that distinction uh, because he thought it would benefit the Democrats. And of course, when Trump won, uh, actually in 2014, Democrats lost the um, Senate. So they no longer, you know, it no longer mattered. They couldn't get their people through it, even with 50 or I mean, with 51. So they didn't get much of a benefit from it, the Democrats. And then it came to uh, Trump administration's great advantage because they were able to push through a lot of lower court judges. But when it came um, to, uh, I think it was Gorsuch, uh, the Democrats invoked a filibuster Um, tried to filibuster, and the Senate, uh, which was controlled by Republicans, changed the rules and did away with the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees. So we're in a situation now where the filibuster for judicial nominees doesn't apply, and a lot of your listeners are probably thinking, well, I'm hearing all this stuff about the filibuster, and they want to do it with the filibuster. That's for legislation. Exactly. Uh, filibuster for legislation still is there, but not for for judges, because Harry Reid broke it. Um, and he was warned at the time. Mitch McConnell warned him, don't do this. You will regret it. Uh, and they ended up re- regretting it because there were three Trump appointed Supreme mm-hmm. Court justices now. Well, in my question, we're talking to uh, Cornell University Law School professor William Jacobson, who blogs every day at, the, at LegalInsurrection.com, LegalInsurrection.com. My question, professor, is this. Let's just hypothetically 
discuss the idea that we have a 50-50 split on the Supreme Court nominee and Vice President Harris votes to break the tie. How would that act be challenged? In other words, if someone does something wrong, a lot of times we can file a lawsuit, we can sue. But in this instance, how could that particular act even be challenged? Well, I'm not sure that it could be. I'm not sure that um, Senate action in that context could be challenged because the federal courts generally, you know, um, because of separation of powers, don't try to rule on how the Senate conducts its business, you know, procedurally. Uh, they could rule on substantively, does something violate the Constitution? But the courts generally don't get involved in the Senate procedures. So I'm not sure how it would be addressed. I think it could be addressed. I mean, I think you would have a Supreme Court nominee confirmed by a tie-breaking dispute that uh, at least many scholars, including on the left, have argued is illegitimate. And you could have essentially a, a question of the legitimacy of this justice. And I think it would probably, while the Supreme Court may not rule on the legitimacy, they're either going to seat the person or they're not. And so I think it really would be, you know, we constantly throw around the term constitutional crisis. Constitu- <laughs> everything's a constitutional yes, crisis. everything is. Well, that actually could be one. It could I mean, be. It, mm-hmm. it's not war or peace, but it's, you know, are we going to have somebody who serious scholars on the left have said uh, would have to admit has not been properly uh, confirmed by the Senate. And uh, a reporter, I think it was, or somebody asked Tribe, um, you know, would he now change his opinion uh, of, you know, Pence's power? And he said, and I haven't heard his voice say it, but I heard it reported. He said, no, I wouldn't change my opinion, <laughs> regrettably. Yes. I would have to come to the same conclusion. <laughs> hey, I want, I want to shift gears just for a moment. We've got a couple of minutes left, Professor. But let's talk about uh, the nomination to the Supreme Court. President Biden has said that he will nominate a black female to the Supreme Court. He's excluding all other potential candidates on the basis of gender and race. But in any other context other than a Supreme Court nomination, would such a limitation even be legal? No, generally you can't openly discriminate based on race in that way. So, no, uh, you know, I don't think that it would hold up in virtually every other context. And I find that fascinating because if any other job position in America advertised, we will only hire black females, no one else need apply because we're limiting it to this specific race and gender, they would be sued out of existence. And yet because it's to the Supreme Court, somehow that magically makes it okay. To me, that's a fascinating uh, fascinating concept to ponder. Now, how long have you been running LegalInsurrection.com? I started it in October of 2008, so it's been a while. I've seen a lot come and go. Well, I I apologize. I only caught on to your website probably in 2015, so I've been reading it daily for about six years, and I will continue to read it daily. Uh, It's called LegalInsurrection.com. Go and check it out. You'll find lots of information there, not only about legal issues, uh, but also about political issues and also uh, CRT 
because if you are interested in any information about critical race theory, you will find that at LegalInsurrection.com. William Jacobson, professor at Cornell University Law School. Hey, thanks for joining us again on X. Great. Take care. Take care, sir. Hey, sorry about that. When we come back, what do you think about this? What do you think about this idea that that uh, Vice President Harris may not even be able to vote to break a tie in the Senate? And also, is it okay for the president to openly discriminate based upon gender and race when it comes to nominating a position in the federal court system? 314-436-7900. Call or text. We'll also be talking about the best TV series of all time after this on X. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. So I had asked earlier about what is your favorite TV series? What's the best TV series of all time? And the reason why I asked that was because YouTube uh, paid for a poll... And it just came out yesterday. Survey of 2,000 adults. That's a that's a uh, significant number of adults. That means it is a good snapshot for the entire country being that large. What is the best TV series of all time? So some of you have, have texted in. I appreciate that. Uh, the Twilight Zone is one answer. Uh, my good friend John Sloan texted in, and he said, uh, besides Star Trek, he said uh, The Sopranos. So that was good. Uh, Mary Lynn texted in and said uh, either MASH or Friends. Uh, Another text here is Game of Thrones, and that's very popular. Another text we have is Handmaid's Tale. I have to tell you, I've never seen that, uh, but the rest of them obviously I've seen. So the reason why I bring this up is this poll came out. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And uh, if you've got some thoughts about the best TV series of all time, Call or text 314-436-7900. The poll showed that nearly, uh, it looks like 19% of all respondents claim that the 1980s and 1990s were the best for television. At least in the 80s, that's when I was in high school and college, and uh, there was a lot of good TV shows on then. 15% say in the 2000s, and only 10% in the 2010s uh, say that that was the best era for TV shows. But I want to get I'm going to get Matt Pajeski's take on this because you know our ages are a little bit different, Matt. What say you? Best TV series of all time. Well, I would agree that the 90s had the best TV shows. I love watching sitcoms from the 90s and my favorite would have to they be Se- would have to be Seinfeld is my favorite of all time. Of course. It never gets old. I I rewatch <laughs> all the re- all the reruns. Mm-hmm. I laugh out loud at each one. Uh, it seems like every episode is like some iconic, or it contains some iconic pop culture reference that everyone knows. Each episode sure. has some has some significant, uh, just just trademark, either quote or or gag or something like that that it just everybody knows. Yeah, I just don't think that show will ever be replicated. No. I mean, it and the way that it really it was one of those things culturally, Matt, that everyone watched. 
and everyone could relate to. In other words, if you went up to anyone on the street, just pick a person at random and yeah. say, make a friend's reference, they're going to get it. Yeah. And we just don't have that kind of unifying cultural reference now like you did with with friends. My All three of my daughters love friends. Mm -hmm. And that show was off the air before any of them were born yeah. or when they were maybe very young, but they still love the show. That has an enduring quality, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. it? It isn't just for folks who were growing up when it was on, but but young and old seem to like that show. Right. And, I mean, they put all these old sitcoms on Netflix so that, you know, they make them more accessible to, mm -hmm. to the, you know, the people of my generation. Well, it's interesting because this list, according to 2,000 adults, this list, I've got an enormous, and I mean an enormous objection to the results of this poll. And I think this shows, you know, every poll has a bias. And this, there has to be a built-in bias here because... They only, the, the people who are doing the poll only listed a certain number of shows. And so your options were limited. You couldn't just pick at random, oh, my favorite show was Space 1999, okay, which not very many people alive today have, has ever seen. But uh, you couldn't choose that because they gave you a limited number. So, of course, Friends is the overwhelming number one show at 43%. Seinfeld is just, just, right there that close at 40%. Game of Thrones, 37%. So that's even matching and tracking the texts that we're receiving here. Many of those are the same. Here's some surprising choices. I mean, of course, MASH is on there. That's something that we could all understand. MASH was, was huge. Everyone watched MASH, and for good reason. It was a great show. The Sopranos is on here. But there's a few on here that I just don't get. So, Matt, you uh, you ever watch Bob's Burgers? I, I've seen it, like, when it's on after the football games, and that, that's the <laughs> only time I would catch it. Yeah, I've, I've tried to watch it a few times, and uh, to me, it's, it's not that great. I don't Maybe it's not be aimed at me. That's why I asked you, because you're yeah. a different demographic than I am. But I just thought, yeah, it's okay. Uh, but it's not anything I'm going to write home yeah. about. I haven't seen enough of it to give it a fair shot, but... I mean, the scenes look funny. The characters look kind of goofy, but uh, I don't think it's 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 no Simpsons or uh, or like any of those classic, more adult cartoons. You'd say. Well, and there's some others here on the list that I that I just don't understand. And I got to tell you, here's the one that just baffles me beyond measure. And then it's also going to lead into the the uh, galactic size hole that's missing from this list. First of all. Battlestar Galactica is on here. Have you, Matt, have you ever seen Battlestar Galactica? No. Well, I assume they're talking about the one that was on in the 70s. Oh, my goodness. That was the worst <laughs> show ever. I mean, the special effects were horrific. The, the acting was comical. It looked bad. The storylines were ridiculous. And somehow 30% of respondents said, identify that as one of the greatest shows of all time. And I just can't understand how Battlestar Galactica could make the list. I mean, some of these others, I agree. Even The Simpsons, of course, I love The Simpsons. Most folks love The Simpsons. It's been on forever. It's one of the longest-running TV shows of all time. I get that. But Battlestar Galactica, really? Now, if you watch, there was a show in, I think it was on... 2004, it was on the Sci-Fi Channel. 
uh, that was excellent. It was excellent, but that, not a lot of people saw that. So I'm assuming this is the original one with Lauren Green uh, that really was the, the, the probably the 15 hours I spent watching Battlestar Galactica are hours that I'll never get back, and, uh, and I regret that. Hey, Roger's calling in. Hey, Roger, what's on your mind this evening? Yeah, Brad, uh, the uh, best uh, television show was The uh, Honeymooners with uh, Jackie Gleason. Funniest show ever to appear on television. So that was a big deal. I'm assuming you were young when that was on? Uh, uh, yeah, I, w- I was just a kid, right. <laughs> and, and what made that show, Roger, from your perspective, what made that show uh, so worthy of your admiration? Why was it so good? Uh, because Jackie Gleason played the part of a uh, poor, a poor soul, hard work, hardworking guy, bus driver. That, a bus driver. No matter what he did, it turned out bad for him. But he always tried to do something uh, that was good. But it was a hilarious uh, television show. Well, one of the uh, things I think that makes a great show is that there's something about the show that you can relate to. So it was Jackie Gleason's character, from your perspective, could you relate to that, that sometimes it just seems like nothing's going your way? Well, no, I, I relate to it because I come from a working-class family. Okay. And uh, he, he was, a you know, he was a, just a hard-working uh, guy. He worked hard every day, and he, he kept having uh, these dreams of making a fortune, and nothing ever worked out for nothing. him as he— but but he tried, <laughs> and uh, Art Carney and uh, Audrey Meadows, uh, they all they uh, also played parts on that show. That was a great show. I, I wasn't alive then, but I saw it in reruns, and uh, and it was it was uh, it should have been on this list because that was a great show. Hey Roger, yeah, thanks I, for calling in. I appreciate it. I, I I love your show. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoy it. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. The, the the glaring omission, though, from this list is how can you have a list of the greatest TV shows of all time and not have Star Trek on it? Okay. Now, Matt's like, yeah, I knew that's where he was going. How could you not have Star Trek on a list of the best TV shows of all time? Now, you know, when my kids watch Star Trek now and my wife has seen the first 10 minutes of every Star Trek episode because she she falls asleep after the first 10 minutes. But she has seen at least the first 10 minutes of every every episode. But it, the, the special effects were admittedly cheesy. We all know that. The original series had like Christmas tree lights going on on the counter. And they used props from the lunchroom sometimes because it was such a low budget. But the scripts and the concept behind the show was cerebral. It was intellectual. They dealt with current issues of the day that no other TV show dealt with and in a way that was allowed you to have a perspective on current events without it being uh, triggering because it was set in the 24th century. So I thought that the show was groundbreaking from that perspective. And I watched every episode tons of times and uh, some of the more newer Star Treks, I still watch them, I enjoy them, but they lack that essence of challenging current issues of the day in a way that that makes it uh, allows you to examine them from different perspectives and that, that clearly should be on a list of the best TV shows of all time so so uh, th- this entire 
poll is flawed. It's flawed, I say, from my perspective, because it doesn't have Star Trek. What say you? 314-436-7900 on At Your Service. We'll be right back. Earlier tonight, I was talking to uh, to Professor William Jacobson. He's a law professor at Cornell University Law School. And several years ago, and and this is his backstory, and he didn't have time this evening or I would have gotten into this with him. But his backstory is fascinating because he had started this blog, LegalInsurrection.com, which has a lot of conservative legal commentary on it. Again, I read it every single day. And... He got a lot of pushback because he was blogging on here and giving stories from a conservative viewpoint. And so a number of students at Cornell University and even some of the other faculty members at Cornell Law School signed a petition to have William Jacobson fired from his job at the law school solely and exclusively because he held and expressed a conservative point of view. And so he was, at least from my perspective, and and it wasn't the first by any means, but he was one of the first that I knew of that fit that cancel culture definition. You've expressed a conservative view. We can't handle hearing that. Therefore, you should be dismissed. And he went through that. And ultimately, it's interesting, the, the dean of Cornell University Law School came out and said, Basically, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, I disagree with everything he's the William Jacobson says, and in any other context, he probably should be fired. But because he's at a university, we're going to respect academic freedom. And at this point, we're going to allow him to stay on the faculty. Wow, what a ringing endorsement that was. So and what I wanted to talk to Professor Jacobson about, and he, he didn't have time this evening to get into it. But we have almost an identical situation going on right now with a professor at Georgetown University Law School. And his name is Ilya Shapiro. And he issued a very poorly worded tweet talking about the the problems with excluding people from consideration for the Supreme Court based upon their race and based upon their gender. And he, again, expressed it poorly, but he gave several examples of other folks who were of different genders and races who would be excellent choices. But instead, President Biden's going to pick someone who may perhaps be not the same caliber of person, not because they're black or female, but simply because you're excluding all of these other people from consideration. And now Ilya Shapiro, who I read a lot at Reason, he's with Reason Magazine, and I read a lot of his articles there from a libertarian standpoint. Now he's facing termination of his job at Georgetown University Law School. And I, and I bring this up because this epitomizes our cancel culture today. Because he, he had the audacity to suggest that a black woman isn't the most qualified candidate to be on the Supreme Court, he should be fired. Now, but what people don't understand and what the cancel culture does not understand is this. If President Biden came out and said, I'm going to nominate a white male 
to the Supreme Court, and I'm only going to consider white males, my criticism would be identical, that you may not be considering others who could be more qualified than whatever white male you're considering because you're limiting your examination and your consideration based upon race and gender. So it's not that he's limiting it to a black female that upsets me. It's that he's limiting it in any way. If President Biden said, I'm only going to consider a transgender person from Lithuania to be on the Supreme Court, I would have the exact same complaint. Because we don't need to place limitations on a consideration. We don't need to limit those considerations based on race and gender. He did the exact same thing when he ran for president. And I don't believe by any stretch you would find anyone saying today that Kamala Harris was the best choice for vice president. Not because she's a woman of color, but because those the choices were limited. Uh, and I would have the exact same complaint if those choices were limited in any manner, not just to women of color. And think about it this, and I did talk about this for a moment with, with Professor Jacobson. In any other context, if a federal court position or if a federal job or a state job or anyone said, I'm only going to hire a black female for this job, as soon as you have an Asian American apply for that job and not get considered, there's going to be a lawsuit. Because you're, it's, it violates not only the principles of our Constitution, but our principles of morality to say we are going to only hire certain people. We're going to exclude people based upon their race and gender from even from being considered. In any other context, it would be illegal, but President Biden is doing it proudly. And 75% of Americans think that that's wrong. So if you think that that's wrong, just like I do, you are in a hyper majority. 75% of Americans think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. And unfortunately, President Biden doesn't realize that it's wrong. And any nominee that he, he nominates to the Supreme Court will always be tagged. There'll be like an asterisk, like in baseball, everyone said, well, if Mark McGuire made it to the Hall of Fame. He'll have an asterisk because because uh, he was doing steroids. And turns out, you know, he's never the only way he's going to get into the Hall of Fame is if he buys a ticket. But the asterisk, I think, will be on whatever person he nominates, because this person could be an intellectual genius and they will always be hobbled by the fact that, well, maybe they're only chosen because it was a black woman. That's the only reason this person was chosen. How terrible is that for that nominee? Even if that nominee happens to be the best qualified, she will always be tagged as being there only because of a quota system, which is why we don't have quotas. It places limitations on who you consider, and it damages the people you ultimately hire. Brad Young in with you at At Your Service this evening. After the break, more news and interviews on X. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.